Hello, and welcome back to Old Sport Podcast. We have a lot to digest this week with more World Cups than a two-fingered alien can count on one hand and bombshell interviews dropping like flies. We'll also have a fan favourite football and cricket correspondent. Join us in a little bit later in the show. But as always, I'm Hamish Stewart and they are Ben Rosen and Hugo Carson. Hugo, I may have jumped the gun off air. Don't bother telling us about how the team went in uh, your uh, social cricket on the weekend. Just tell us how you went. Social cricket? Jeez, that's a bit stiff, Hamish. Um, We play a very competitive brand of cricket. Um, It's anti-social. (laughs) <laughs> all cricket is anti-social genuinely uh three four 20 off eight so happy with it but um team got the loss so could be better but it's one of those ones where you know you walk into the the change rooms got a little bit of extra credit in the rank you kind of you know you say a few words out of you after the captain's spoken yeah come on boys you know get work get to training this week work harder. <laughs> and everyone goes yep yep well played here you go thanks um, so much you go <laughs> I mean, Did three for isn't outstanding, but yes. Oh, but loss. you know, it's you know, top order players as well. You know, good <laughs> players from what I hear as well. But you know, we don't we don't want to go too deep into that. Um, Ben, why don't you take us through some some other results? Sure, big week of sport. Um, obviously AFLW semi final actions. Very comfortable win for North Melbourne over Richmond, and the game of the round was the Crows by twelve over the Magpies. Over the world of golf, we've got the DP World Tour Championship in Dubai this week. So that's the season ender for the European Tour. And in tennis, Switzerland beat Australia to win the Billie Jean King Cup. It was a great effort um, for the Aussie girls to get to the final in what is the biggest sort of group or team female tennis tournament. Uh, Nadal's out of the ATP finals in the group stages, so he's really struggled and he's come back to tennis. Novak has been given the green light by the immigration minister, Andrew Giles. So he will be playing in this year's or in next year's Aussie Open, I should say. Yeah, that is, sorry. I was just thinking that it really came out of nowhere that this is just um, decisions being made. Like there's a mm. bit of talk about it, but. Seems like it's uh, happened all of a sudden, but I mean, good for good for the sport. I think so. Else- yeah. 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 Elsewhere in the sporting world, we've got the Rugby League World Cup happening over in the UK. Uh, we will face Samoa in the Rugby League World Cup final, following a win against New Zealand in the semi-finals, while Samoa beat England in their semi-final. 35-34, just getting over the line there. Elsewhere in the world of sport, we had the Formula One Brazilian Grand Prix, always a spectacular race this year, uh, did not fail. Uh, Mercedes and George Russell finally achieved a Grand Prix victory in 2022. George Russell's first ever Grand Prix victory. They finished, him and um, Lewis Hamilton finished ahead of Carlos Sainz in third, while Max Verstappen ignored team orders to let his teammate through, finishing uh, sixth, I believe. Hamish, what about the world of soccer? Last couple of uh, Premier League games before the World Cup. Well, there was Hugo, but I'm actually going to overstep my my boundaries here and uh, just do a little correction on one of the results you, you gave. Wow. England lost to Samoa 27-26, and I would know that because oh. I obviously watched the whole game from from start to finish. And <laughs> was up late at night um, tuning in because I'm a big fan of Samoan Rugby League. Um, Who isn't? But still a one-point victory. Very exciting. And makes for it, I don't know, I, 
we'll touch on this later with the cricket, but it's always actually quite exciting when one of the favorites doesn't necessarily make the final and you get something yeah. slightly different. So yeah, it'll be exciting to, to watch that on Sunday. Um, in the soccer world, uh, there are a few big results in the Premier League. The game of the round was between Tottenham and Leeds. Leeds led this game three times and still managed to lose 4-3 in a way that only Leeds tend to be able to do. Um, Newcastle beat Chelsea at home 1-0 to continue their really strong form and cement their place in those Champions League Champions League positions. Uh, Brentford beat Manchester City 2-1 away. That's Manchester City's first loss at their home ground uh, in a long time, a last-minute winner from Ivan Tony and Leicester's resurgence continued at West Ham as well. Um, but Arsenal will top the English Premier League ladder at Christmas, which is exciting to have a, a different leader. Um, although uh, you won't find too many soccer fans who will necessarily feel particularly sorry for Arsenal or anything like that. They're not a whole lot of people's second teams necessarily. Um, finally in the cricket in the, the women's big bash, the Sixers continue to dominate. Uh, Alyssa Healy made another hundred this week in a thrilling win over the Scorchers. It was an incredible chase. I think it was about 180 odd that they, they chased down and the Scorchers now really risk missing the top four. They're equal on points with the strikers, but the strikers have a game in hand and they are a game behind Hobart and three points behind Brisbane Heat, who seem to be the standout second best team in the comp this year. But, the way they're doing the women's big bash for those who haven't followed the finals um, format doesn't mirror the men's competition. Instead, they put a lot more weight on the team that finishes first, you go straight through to the grand final, third plays fourth, winner plays second, winner of that game goes into the grand final. So huge win for the Sixers, um, or two huge wins for the Sixers in the last week to really cement that place at the top of the, the table. Um, in the Sheffield Shield, of course, which was also uh, some important cricket play this week, Victoria will bowled out for, for 63 and 132 by Queensland in about three and a half hours. Um, Michael Nisa, man of the match. Like, it's funny what these games do when the bowlers dominate and it's just like they get all these crazy stats, especially at the start of the season, how they're averaging like 4.6 with a strike rate of about seven. Um, so good. So, yeah. He's, he's pushing his case. And, of course, there was another game uh, on Sunday in which England beat Pakistan in the T20 World Cup final. And, boys, I guess that's where we'll start. The cricket T20 World Cup has come an end. Um, and it probably wasn't the final that everyone wanted per se, but um, we had a pretty exciting uh, build-up towards the game. And although the game itself probably wasn't the, the best game we've seen all tournament, I still thought it was a pretty good representation of T20 cricket. How did you guys see it? Do you reckon the best team won in the end? Yeah, definitely. And I think, I mean, at least it didn't get rained out. Got a pretty solid crowd, 80,000 plus to the G. Um, and, you know, but for a couple of boundaries right at the pointy end, it, it almost went down to the wire. Another really clinical performance in a run chase from Ben Stokes, which we're all getting far too used to seeing, unfortunately, <laughs> but credit credit to England. I think favorites going into the tournament, it's very hard to carry favoritism through to a victory and they were able to do that. So as I said, credit where it's due, I reckon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't think you can count out the performance of um, Sam Curran and Adil Rashid key in the English victory in that final in particular. Um, Pakistan, you know, it seemed like they had chances when um, Baba Azam was out there. You, you you can never doubt them. And the, the wicket from Adil Rashid there was was critical in them getting over the line. And Sam Curran's bowling throughout the whole innings was spectacular. Um, it was, three, was it three for 12 off his four overs, which is just like you won't see many better 
uh, match-winning figures uh, in a T20 final ever again. I doubt it. Um, so very deserving player of the match and player of the series, the tournament as well. And then you look at England's batting and um, didn't necessarily have the firepower, but it was a very mature innings from Stokes, played a miss, definitely got lucky. And oh, yeah. the Pakistan fans will, will say that forever. But at the end of the day, he was there. He didn't get out. He played mature innings on a big ground, the MCG, whereas Pakistan kind of fell apart at the end there. You know, taking on the big boundaries, the short balls played right into England's hands. Um, much more mature effort from England, much better side, um, proven themselves over several years as a white ball team that dominates. Um, you know, after the t- 2015 World Cup, which they got thrashed in, they they decided to take white ball cricket seriously. A lot of other sides kind of kept on the same track because they just assumed they'd they'd stay at the same level, including Australia and India. And England have had that advantage for the last, you know five years maybe yeah. um it's a really good point reap the rewards yeah i think um investment yeah i think the injury to shaheen was really the turning point in the game yeah. um if he gets well two more overs that game's completely different i think and also the bubbler's um not quite get their catch um yeah. when he parried the ball forward and the commentators on the tv said what an amazing fielding effort <laughs> he probably could have got there if he really sprinted from the start. And I think Stokes thought he'd hit it straight to him. Um, and that could have yeah. been a turning point as well. Um, I mean, a couple of slightly uh, controversial views because it can't be all pro-England on an Australian-based <laughs> podcast. They did lose to Ireland uh, in this tournament. So um, maybe that just Let highlights the fickle nature of T20 cricket. But yeah, I guess Ireland are probably the best team in the world then. Um, and for all of you, the, everyone out there who's... Um, got kind of amnesia or um, kind of a limited memory when it comes to recent times uh, and it comes to Ben Stokes being clutch. All I'm going to say is Carlos Brathwaite, remember the name, um, mm-hmm. 24 needed <laughs> off the last over. Um, and who was bowling? That and over? who was bowling at the time. But um, it is a cool kind of career arc and redemption story for Stokes, uh, even though I think, as Hugo said, Curran and Rashid were probably the most important players um, in the match given the... Uh, the ability to restrict Pakistan to that small total. Um, and yeah, I was pretty impressed with the crowd. Like I'm sure a lot of tickets were bought by Indian fans, hopeful and anticipation, and they would have been pretty expensive as well. And the rain obviously probably scared away about 10,000 people, but good thing they got on because they wouldn't have gone on on the Monday. Um, you guys know better than me, but I heard it bucketed all day mm. and yeah, it would have been an interesting way to end because the two finalists become joint winners but the trophy stays with the previous holders. So Australia could have kept the trophy, which would have been a pretty funny way to manage to hold retain. How do you know that? <laughs> Such um, esoteric knowledge. I've just got too much time, Ben, as we discussed. What happens in the case of a well, the talk, talk in the lead up was the talk in the lead up was that there's absolutely no chance they get on on the Sunday, but Monday looks like a beautiful day for cricket. So that's fine. We we take the Sunday and reset on the Monday. And it turned out the complete opposite. Like Sunday wasn't a beautiful day, but there was never really any chance it was going to rain during the game. And then that night it absolutely bucketed down. And then, it, you know, you might have been able to play on the Monday, but there was so much rain throughout the day that it was, you know, the ground probably would have been sodden and, you, know, you might have been able to dry it out for a 5-5 game or something ridiculous like that. But can you imagine deciding a, 
a World Cup in five overs. Well, it actually has to be 10 in a final. Oh, um, again, go. random knowledge that I, I've clearly got too much <laughs> time on my hands. Um, I just want a quick highlight and low light from each of you for the, the tournament as a whole. Highlight yeah. for me was Virat Kohli at the MCG. And low light was every single minute of the opener against New Zealand. <laughs> um, yeah. My highlight was the uh, Zimbabwe, was it Bangladesh fine finish with the no ball keeper takes it in front of the stumps. Still <laughs> need six to win. <laughs> Batsman just completely misses it. Um when it looked like Zimbabwe were a chance to make it through to the semis and then I think they lost their next two games after that anyway. Finish uh, bottom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that was peak T20 World Cup. Um, low light. Could have been the same moment as well. Yeah, I was um, going to say, that sounds a lot like a low light to me. I think it was... Um, I mean, as an Australian fan, you've, you've got to say that I think the game against Afghanistan really like the, the New Zealand game, we just never got started. You can be excused for saying that, you know, hadn't built into the competition, but then the Afghanistan game, I think really showed that we just never really invested in the tournament. Like by in a game where you need to win that run rate, you, you pick that side and never really develop into the game. Um, yeah, <laughs> not, yeah, not Australia's have. tournament. Um, so I'll go two highlights. Firstly, the cup sets, as I talked about last week. I just loved all the the smaller nations winning those upsets. But as I mentioned just at the start of the episode, like everyone had India locked as this finalist from the start. Probably did it the last T20 World Cup as well, and most likely to win it. And yeah, maybe it's a little bit I don't know, um, sadistic or a bit weird in some ways. But I. I quite like it when the favorite doesn't necessarily make it through to the final um, and it doesn't just pan out as everyone thinks it's going to. And yeah, it wasn't a great semi-final, the England India one, but um, I think it made for a, an interesting final between two slightly different teams. And um, I don't enjoy India losing, but I definitely don't cry any crocodile tears when they don't win, given the, uh, the resources they've got um, at hand. But yeah, I guess that'll carry through into the Soccer World Cup as well. Just weird Australia underdog syndrome kind of stuff. Um, speaking of the soccer, we should do our World Cup preview, guys. I think it's time. We're not going to touch on the politics of this World Cup because to do so would require a, at least a whole episode, probably a series of episodes to go into the depth required. And it's obviously the most controversial World Cup in history but there's some really good resources to educate yourself around why there's a lot of issues surrounding this this World Cup in particular and why different teams are chosen to to make certain stances and boycott in certain ways, um, especially the BBC Sport Football Daily podcast did a great series on it. So um, we are not avoiding our duty. We're simply going to leave it to um, the hands of others who are better placed to, to report on these things. All right, well, we're going to bring in a... a special friend of the show, Ed Raftersath, to, to come and break it down with us. We're going to go group by group. Bear with us. Um, we were discussing off air that 
um you know we probably couldn't name the capital of all the countries involved but ed can probably tell you who's coming off the bench for for each team his knowledge is second to none and and we hope you you all enjoy this preview Okay, we are joined again now by a fan favourite of the podcast. He's formerly known as our our World Cup cricket correspondent, but he turns out to just be our World Cup correspondent in general. We've got him back to talk about the World Cup soccer, football that's about to go on in Qatar. Um, It's Ed Raftaseth. Welcome back to the show, Ed. Yeah, real pleasure to be here. Thanks, Hamish. Thoroughly enjoyed my time on the last last episode I was on and uh, glad to see that... um, I haven't, I guess, been been vetoed and I've been allowed to come back. So very privileged to be here. Uh, we're very happy to have you. Now, the way we think the best way to do this for the, the listeners out there, because some people will obviously be very avid football fans, but a lot of others um, will be kind of part-time football fans that tune in for the World Cup. We're going to go through uh, each of the eight groups. Um, we'll let you know who's in each group and, um, yeah, give us your two cents on who you think will progress to the the round of 16, the knockout stages. And we'll touch on a few of the, the larger nations, the, um, the, the favorite nations as we go. So starting with group a, I mean, it's the one we we've all been uh, excited to see play. It's got <laughs> Qatar, the hosts in it. Their first up game will be against Ecuador, um, 3am on a Monday. That doesn't get you up. <laughs> nothing else will. Um, but Senegal and the Netherlands are also in that group. Um, how are you feeling about this group? Do you give the, the host nation any chance at all, Ed? In short, I do not. Um, look, uh, Qatar football, um, look, I'm willing to be proven wrong. I'm willing to see that, you know, um, Qatar, there is some merit for them to be in this tournament, but uh, I'll be very surprised if their, their football team uh, kind of is able to, to get a, a victory against anybody. Um Always, always a chance they, they can sneak a draw somewhere. And in that first game, I wouldn't be that surprised if they can sneak a draw. Ecuador, uh, very defensively solid side. Um, one of their good players, Moises Caicedo, is um, playing for Brighton at the moment, playing really good football for Brighton. They've actually been linked with some really big Premier League clubs. And, uh, you know, there's a heavy price tag being slapped on him, but we're not at all be surprised because Brighton and models are like to sell players if, if he ends up at a, at a top club later on. So that's a play yeah. to watch, Moises Caicedo, but they're, um, the point is they're not very strong offensively, Ecuador. And so in Qatar, that first game, home crowd, I don't really know what the atmosphere is going to be like, but you could, I could see Qatar sneaking a draw. Do not see them at all being able to get three points against any side or, or to be able to progress from the group. So who do you have progressing? Do you have, I presume you have well, the so Dutch? I, I, I do have the Dutch. Um, the Dutch, uh, you know, they they haven't been um, in the World Cup for a little bit now. And uh, they kind of had, a, they kind of um, under the management of Ronald Koeman before he went to Barcelona, they're playing some great football, then they had a bit of a dip. Now they've kind of started coming up again under Louis van Gaal. So I think the Dutch will progress. I think they'll top that group. Senegal are the second best team in that group. Um, I think they probably will progress, but it will be tight between them and Ecuador, just because Ecuador is quite defensively solid. And Senegal, uh, you know, used to playing in Africa and probably being the best side in that continent. Different kettle of fish when you come into the World Cup. You're playing against teams technically better than you. Uh, you're playing against teams with more defensive solidity than you would have faced in Africa, where there's, you know, some teams do, there are some very talented defenders in Africa, um, but 
they might not have faced a team as kind of resolute and as tactically sound defensively as, as Ecuador. And so that kind of, yeah, it's going to be pivotal on um, that set Senegal, so Senegal, Ecuador clash, and also the Senegal, uh, all, all, all the games will be important because it'll also be important for the teams to make sure they can get that three points against Qatar. Qatar will finish bottom of this group, but it'll be important for all the all three teams to make sure they can ensure those three points. Um, but I think Senegal, they just have a bit more quality. Sadio Mane is in question marks about his fitness. Still got Ismail Assar on the right there. Very explosive play. Great goalkeeper in Eduardo Mendy and some hardworking midfielders. Old for Drissi Gay, good ball winner. But I just think all round, they just got a bit more going for them, whereas Ecuador really struggled to score goals. But they can make it tough. And so uh, it wouldn't be a shock to me if Ecuador managed to squeeze through as well. But I got Senegal, the, Senegal and Netherlands, yeah. Yeah, so the the interesting thing with, with Senegal is Sadio Mane's injury. So, oh. um, you know, Ed, I'm sure you know this, but his... There's talk that he might be available later in the tournament, but the real key for them is getting out of this group. Yeah, and maybe yeah, sure. if you can't play those group games, then that could be a huge loss for them. And you could see Ecuador getting through. Do you think that's a big chance? I, I do think it's a chance. Um, I think I think the Senegal-Ecuador game is going to be really tight. Um, it's just the, the reason I, I, I don't have Ecuador going through is just because they really do, they struggle to get goals. Like a lot of their goals come from set pieces. If you're that kind of a side, it's just like sometimes in tournament football that can be effective, but in football, like, you know, also things can go against you. And so if you're a defensive side and things don't go to plan, you can see the fluky goal, you can see the goal from a set piece yourself, things happen, you need to get a result. If you're a side that doesn't have goals in you, it just, you're really, you're up against it. Um, and so I just think Senegal have a bit more about them. They've got Ismail Assar still on the right wing, um, even if Sadio Mane is not fit. They've got a bit more quality through midfield, got a lot of experience, Kalido Koulibaly at the back. And they've also got, um, you know, recent tournament success, like winning the AFCON. So that's why I got them edging it. But certainly Sadio Mane's injury is massive out for them. And it'll, it'll be real tight. It's like a, kind of like a 55-45. I've kind of got that one. Yeah, yeah. I think... Um... With Mane out early, you obviously are hoping for him to come back, but I think you're still back Senegal there. Um, moving on to Group B, we've got England, Iran, USA, Wales. Do you think England and USA go through there? Like, it's really tricky to pick a, a second there in that group. I think sure. Iran are a, a dangerous team. They've shown some forming qualifications. Yeah. Um, so no, not USA. This is interesting. So, look, my gutsy call for the tournament, sticking my neck out a bit here. I actually am an England football fan. Um, <laughs> but sticking my neck out a bit here, I actually think USA are going to top this group. I think England are going to come seconds. Um, I wouldn't even be that surprised. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen if England didn't make it out of the group. I wow. think England, yeah, I think England are, um, have really been struggling to score goals lately. I think Gareth Southgate is a manager. I think Gareth Southgate's a good manager. But his problem is that he's incredibly risk averse. He's a very cautious manager. He focuses on not making mistakes, not losing the game, rather than going out and trying to win the game. And so you've seen recently, even in the Euros, even when they made that run to the final, a lot of those games, very narrow wins, not creating a lot of chances. Uh, the TIFO football do some very good, like highly statistical work. That's very insightful. I'd recommend anyone to check them out. Tricky plug there, and maybe one day they'll they'll return the favour. Um, but they are uh, what they what they've shown in some statistical analysis is England's was had the slowest um, ball progression of any team in that Euros, and that's despite all the quality they had there. Um, so they're very slow in the way they build up the, the ball, and uh, they're just yeah, very very risk adverse team, very cautious and. 
Iran and Wales like to defend deep and England have a lot of trouble breaking down those sorts of sides that like to defend deep because of how cautious their play is. So I could really see England, when they come up against Iran, when they come up against Wales, they'll still be favourites in those games. But I wouldn't be at all surprised to see those sides pick up a draw against England. And then we know with England, especially with the football team, once things start to go against them, the media all piles on them. The media over there is incredibly volatile. When it's going well, it's all it's coming home, all that kind of stuff <laughs> there. Can't get enough of it. Gareth Southgate and his waistcoats, let's go. But when it's not going well... They pile on them, and I think there's a lot of young players, and whilst those young players have personality, and um, and they've shown some of those young players that they can rebound, you know, from from having uh, uh, disappointments in 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 their national um, jerseys, which is which is great. For example, Bakari Saka missed the penalty, started off the season really well with Arsenal, missed the penalty in the Euro final. That is, um, whilst you know they have that personality, I, I do still think with the pressure of the media and the expectation on England, once that starts to turn on them, it could they could start to crumble. And uh, they have some injuries in some key positions. I think the loss of Reese James is going to be big, notwithstanding, you know, Kieran Trippier um, is playing really well. Newcastle play quite a different style of football to how England are going to be playing. I don't think he's going to be as effective for England as he is for Newcastle. I think Reese James is really big out. I think defensively, they've made a massive mistake not taking Fukayo Tomori. An enormous mistake, I would call that. I, I would go so far as to say Fukayo Tomori is the best English defender right now. And the fact he, maybe apart from John Stones, the fact he's not been taken is absolutely staggering talking about a guy who was the best defender for the side who won the italian league last season a league that is known primarily for the quality of its defending so he was one of the best defenders in the league known primarily for its the quality of his defending yet he hasn't been taken by gareth southgate despite gareth southgate not having a whole lot of good center backs at his disposal it does not make any sense whatsoever so and, i think england sorry go on i've got a quick one on the the squad um yeah. do you think what my, my only um gripe with England squad. I thought Harvey Elliott was unlucky to miss. I thought he's shown better form this season than Connor Gallagher and potentially even Calvin Phillips hasn't had a lot of time oh, actually out on the pitch. I, 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 I disagree with that. Sorry, Hamo. I'm gonna have to disagree. I think that's it's gonna be a jump too soon for, for Harvey Elliott. I think he's shown moments in, in Liverpool, but I think so Calvin Phillips plays that deeper role in midfield. He's a natural six. Um England don't really have a lot of options. They have Declan Rice there. But if Southgate sometimes likes to play two number sixes, his only option apart is Declan Rice and Henderson. He doesn't have any other options there if he doesn't take Calvin Phillips. So he needed more depth in case he wants to play those two holding players. And even go Calvin Phillips, he hasn't played much football this season. Uh, he, he's been under the tutelage of Pep Guardiola, and I think that's something um, positive in any footballer's development. And Declan Rice is a player who does great things for West Ham. I think for England... He, in my opinion, he's been quite disappointing. He struggles in the England system. Um, he's not good in tight spaces. He's not good at getting on the half turn. He's part of the reason they've progressed the ball so slow through midfield. Whereas Calvin Phillips is not perfect to that, but he is he is an improvement. So it gives him a bit more of another, a different kind of option in that defensive midfield slot. As for Conor Gallagher, he's just a bit more experienced. He's got a bit more versatility and a bit more athleticism in where he can play in the midfield. I'd really be looking at Harvey Elliott if he was going to play. I think he'd have to play number 10. And he's just, you just would not be picking him, in my opinion, as a number 10 over the likes of Mason Mountain, Phil Foden. Um, so he, he is Fair a player for the future, um, but I just, I wouldn't have him. But just back to that Group B, uh, I think the USA, um, look, they are, they are very funny to laugh at, um, US soccer. <laughs> um, you know, they, they're, you know, one of the guiltiest in terms of overrating their own kind of potential and all that. But I generally think they've got some really exciting young players. 
I really like Brendan Aronson, who plays for Leeds. One to watch out for. Very crafty little wide player on number 10. Christian Pulisic hasn't been getting the game time at Chelsea. I still think he's got a lot of quality about him. they got really good fullbacks. Uh, Sergio Dest, who plays on the right for Barcelona. Very athletic player. Also, the guy, I think his name's Robertson, who plays on the left for, for Fulham. Um, I, I, I apologize if I've got his name wrong, but he's, he's very also an incredibly athletic player. And yeah, I just think the US, um, they're going to have a little bit less pressure on them. Wales will be very up against England as well. But if that's a real grudge match, they'll really get up for that. And I just feel like England might struggle against those teams that sit deep. Um, and, you know, the media might pile on them. And I just think US, um, like, they're not as good a side as England, but without that kind of that pressure, they might just be able to get the job done. So that's my prediction. That's the prediction for Group B. Very, very interesting. I reckon England, USA is always a good one to watch out for. Uh, Group C, rolling along. We've got Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Mexico, and Poland. How do you say that one playing out? All right, I'll try and get this one a bit shorter. Uh, look, Argentina, I think, are number one. Argentina, I think, are potentially my second favourites for the tournament outside of Brazil. Uh, I really like the look of their side. They've struggled in the past with almost having too many toys to play with. Um, back, you know, four or five years ago, not just Messi, but Aguero, Higuain, Dybala, Di Maria. They've had all these amazing attacking players and you've almost thought looking at, you've got to fit as many of these guys into the team as possible. And that's come to the expense of some balance in midfield and defence. At the moment, uh, a lot of those guys are older and retired, so they don't really have that issue. And they've managed to get a really nice balance, a really nice solidity. Paredes, very underrated player in midfield. Rodrigo de Paul, also very underrated player in midfield. Like they become uh, a, a tough team to kind of break down. And then they've still got the quality up top. Uh, they've got, you know, the front three, Messi, um, still a wonderful player. I think he's going to have a great tournament. Uh, Laturo Martinez, um, a fantastic striker, uh, kind of outside of the obvious names of you know, Lewandowski, your Benzema, as your Holland's one of the best strikers in the world. And then Di Maria. Um, Di Maria is a big game player. Um, I think he's a very underrated footballer, Di Maria. He has shown in the past, whether it be for Real Madrid, or PSG, he's performed brilliantly in Champions League finals. He's performed in big moments for Argentina. He's got a bit of an injury cloud at the moment, but I expect he'll be fit for the key games. And uh, I think he's a, he's a wonderful, wonderful big game player. And we'll have also have a very good tournament for Argentina. So I see Argentina as a clear number one. Yeah. Uh, Mexico, Mexico, Poland's close. Um, it, that, that's hard to call. Mexico are a talented side, um, got quality in different areas. Poland, you know, have Lewandowski and a few other players. So that's really a flip of the coin. Uh, I'm going to go with Mexico, maybe because uh, one, one factor I haven't mentioned so far is the heat. You know, it's Qatar, it might be winter, but it's still very hot. Mexico, I think, might adjust to that, those conditions a bit a bit better, having playing in Central America. So I'll go for Mexico. Nice, nice one. Um, getting on to Group D, which Here is the go. one we've all been waiting for. Uh, obviously, Australia and Tunisia start as strong favourites to get out of the group, <laughs> but are you giving France and Denmark a chance at... <laughs> Look, look, uh, th- there is this curse. I-, I don't know if you guys have heard about this curse, but in the last in the last three or four World Cups, the side that has won the World Cup previously has failed to get out of the group. Um, so that happened to uh, Germany. Spain. Last World Cup. It happened to Spain, the one before. It happened to Italy, the one before that. Um, now, look, this French team, I do expect them to have a decent tournament, but... It wouldn't be, oh, okay, I'm going to, and that's not quite right. It would be a big shock if they don't get out of the group, but it's not absolutely unthinkable. Um, they're missing Kante, they're missing Pogba, um, two players who've been very consistent for them in the past. 
uh, Mbappe, wonderful player. Seems like his ego recently. Look, if you're that good, you're obviously entitled to a bit of an ego, but that seems to have gotten a little bit out of control recently. Uh, Adrian Rabio, always a bit of an ego on him. Also, his mother likes to get a bit too involved in things, <laughs> criticizing people. Go on, Dave. <laughs> Um, so when the parents start getting involved and you're a professional footballer, never a good situation. So there's a few things, you know, in the French camp that make you concerned. A few things. Um, still, uh, I, I still expect France to top the group and I do expect Denmark to come second. Um, but you never know. You never know what can happen. Um, so there, there's hope for, for Australian fans. Um, France have shown in the past that they can self-combust at 2010. They had loads of issues in the camp and they went out in the group stage there. Maybe history will repeat itself. We're going for combustion. It's good. <laughs> That's what I think in the hope song. Yeah. yeah, I think I think you really need a draw against France and then anything can happen there um, for Australia to get through. Um, but that is a, a huge game against France. And I think it, if they underestimate us, then we're a big chance. Moving on, we'll go to Group E now with Spain, Costa Rica, Germany, Japan. Two real heavyweights here. Yeah. Can't really see anything other than Spain and Germany yeah. going through personally. Ed, do you see it any other way? No, I don't. Um, I think that's the way it will be. The only thing I say about both Spain and Germany, both wonderful, like wonderfully technical sides, um, two of the, the best midfields in the competition, potentially the two best midfields in terms of the the technicians they have in those sides the guys who can pass the ball kind of do all the stuff that us football lovers love about um the game um purists i guess love about the game um so you know they'll, they'll both play some nice football but the the, the the thing with both those sides is the striker um who's spain scoring a, goals who's scoring goals exactly so spain are going to be relying on alviro Morata, who is not someone you want to be relying on. Um, if history has anything to tell us, um, you know he can he can be good at it. He, he does have his good days. He's not um, he's not someone who's never on, but he's he's a he's a confidence player, and um, his confidence tends to run pretty hot and cold. I think he might have even received a few death threats last Euros from Spanish fans. Hopefully, not wishing any of that to repeat itself. But that kind of tells you the the toxicity of the of the environment there, which can be an issue. Uh, and then also Germany, yeah, they, they, they've been missing a striker really since Miralov closed, they retired. So um, but that gives some hope to, to some of the other sides. Like, you know, you can see Spain and Germany having a lot of possession, not quite being able to break through, and maybe um, Costa Rica or Japan can, can kind of hit them on the counter, but I, I expect them to go through, and um, I, I'll say Spain will top that group. Uh, I like it. Group F, got a few more to go. Belgium, Canada, Morocco, and Croatia. Who tops that one? Yeah, look, this is an interesting group. Um, Belgium are not the side that they were um, last World Cup. Last World Cup, they were pretty much on par with France. France beat them through a set-piece golf corner. Um, Belgium kind of dominated large portions of that game, although France kind of gave as good as they got, and, and France got that 1-0 win. Um, but that game, you almost could have said, could have gone either way. Um, and then if they if Belgium won, they I'm pretty confident they would have gone on to lift the title. So Belgium last World Cup, brilliant side. This World Cup still got some great players, but that defense, um, you know, out of Vitoni and fantastic partnership in that back three last World Cup. Um, those guys, if they're still there, I mean they probably still would be playing, but they've gotten on a lot, not the players they were. Also, Moussa Dembele, incredibly underrated player in midfield. 
uh, is to carry the ball a lot for them, help to help them to progress it. He's not there. Eden Hazard is nowhere near the player that he was. Uh, kind of a guy who always had a bit of a flamboyant lifestyle off the pitch and because he was that good, used to be able to get away with it. But um, various footballers have showed us over time that eventually catches up with you. <laughs> and I think it's caught up with him. So, yeah, Belgium, not, not, the, player, not the team they were. Having said that, Kevin De Bruyne, um, potentially the best player in the world, wonderful footballer. Romelu Lukaku, uh, dangerous as ever, nightmare for any defender to handle. And, you know, Yuri Tielemans, a lot of quality midfield, plus a few other players. So Belgium remained a very good side, probably the strongest side in that group still. Yeah. Uh, I'll probably go for them to top the group. I think the other sides have quality. Uh, Canada are kind of like, it's great to see them there. Um, you can't really hate the Canadians, hey? Um, <laughs> they're just a lovely bunch of people, the Canadians. Uh, everyone kind of wants, everyone's kind of always rooting for the Canadians to do all right. Um, they have a few very good individuals. Uh, Alfonso Davies, also Jonathan Davids, very good striker for Lille. Uh, and they tend to hit teams on the counter. Uh, never a fan of that style of football myself. Can be incredibly effective in knockout in knockout football. Uh, but it's will it be enough? Uh, hard to say. And in Croatia, great midfield. Um, also one of the best midfields in, in the tournament. Uh, you know, we all know about Luka Modric, hopefully. Brozovic, very, very good player as well, as is Mateo Kovacic. My worry with Croatia is um, the lack of kind of quality up the top. Mario Mandzukic, who was there when they made that run to the final uh, last World Cup, he's no longer there. Perisic is a lot older. So between, and Morocco are a decent size. So between the other three, it's close. Um, I'm going to go, I am going to go for Croatia. I just think experience um, in big tournaments um, they, they probably still have the second most quality out of those teams. I expect them to get it done. But look, Morocco, um, you know, they got Hakim Ziyech. They got Ashraf Hakimi. Um, you know, Ashraf Hakimi plays for PSG. Very dynamic, very fast right wing back. Ziyech attacking midfielder plays for Chelsea. Not getting much of a look in, but still got a lot of quality there. Um, so all those three teams, um, any of them could really come second. I'm picking Croatia. Wouldn't be shocked if it was Morocco uh, and Canada have a chance to. Nice one. Um, I think Group G, we've got two to go, is probably the most interesting group for me, uh, just mm. with the, the spread of teams. We've got my second team in this tournament, Switzerland. Uh, I just love the Swiss national team, um, especially their goalkeeper, Jan Sommer. Um, it's got Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland, and Cameroon. Uh, so nice split there across three yeah. continents. Yeah. And you said off the top, Brazil was your probably your, your number one horse for the, the comp, but... Um, Apart from then, who have you got getting through or challenging them? Yeah, so Brazil are my number one. Uh, I'll just talk briefly about why. Um, well, for starters, just quality everywhere you look. Um, quality, like, you know, Marquinhos, wonderful centre-back, Thiago Silva, you know, so much class, so much experience. Allison in goals. Casemiro, probably best defensive midfielder in the world. If it's not him, Fabinho's got a pretty good shout for that um, role as well. And he's also there. Bruno Hemera is playing really well for Newcastle. Neymar, of course. Vinicius, you know, the list kind of goes on. So Brazil have so much quality. They can also, um, one of the most complete teams in the competition, and they can hurt you in different ways. You've got kind of like the, the pace and directness of Vinicius Jr. and Rafinha, if he plays on the other side. Um, Richarlison's got that physicality if you want to get crosses into the box. You got the intricacy of Neymar, Lucas Paqueta. They just they can beat you in lots of different ways. Um, they're a very athletic team. They're a very well balanced team. The other really good thing about Brazil is they're a very cohesive unit. Like they have a defined style of play. 
Um, whereas some of the other sides, like some of the other very talented sides, like France, like Portugal, like England, they also have very, very good individuals, but they don't quite have that cohesive style of play where they all work together and they all link up very well. And you really feel like they're getting the best out of that parts. Brazil, the way they've played, I followed them a little bit um, in the Copa America and through South American qualifying. Uh, you, it really looks like a team that gels well together and that is getting the, the best out of the individuals that they have. And it seems like some individuals, as good as they are, lift a little bit further, even when they play for Brazil. Neymar, when he plays for Brazil, is at times the best player in the world. So that's why I've got Brazil winning this tournament. Um, as for the other side, yeah, it's very close. Oh, They're all really? good size. Yeah, I've got Brazil winning the World Cup. Um, nice. Uh, so that the other sides that they're all they're all very talented. Um, Switzerland, I was very impressed with at the Euros, and Granit Xhaka has started off this season in really really impressive form for Arsenal. Generally tends to play well for Switzerland anyway, so that's that's really good signs for them. Um, they got Brilan Bolo, talented striker. Summer, as you mentioned, very just solid. Like Kanji, really like him in defence. Very solid side all round. I, I actually think Serbia are going to finish second. Um, I really like their two strikers, Vlahovic and Mitrovic. Vlahovic plays for Juventus, um, you know, very talented, very complete forward. Mitrovic plays for Fulham, has been, um, you know, he's always done well. Uh, Fulham have tended to kind of get, be in the Premier League for a season, get relegated and then come back up. When previously for Mitrovic, when he played in the division below the Premier League, he'd score a handful of goals, come up to the Premier League and struggle. This season he's come up to the Premier League and he's continued that form and he's playing really well. So I think... Serbia with their two strikers, not that many teams have a dual strike force like that, that with both players in such great form, especially that not that many teams like mid, mid-tier mid kind of teams. So I think that'll be a real handle for defences. They're a very physical duo. And then Milinkovic, Savage, they also have in midfield. He's one of the most informed midfielders in Europe right now. So I think him, his quality, feeding those two strikers, I think is going to be a lethal combination. They've probably got enough quality elsewhere on the pitch. Um, but look, Switzerland are a good side. Cameroon are not to be slept on. Cameroon have some decent players. Um, and Giza from Napoli in some good form. So it's that's another tough group to call. I'm going to go with Serbia coming second to Brazil. Yeah, I I love the take there. And I think it's um, Brazil, or the, the hot team going in, the chemistry really um, a likely one to get them over the line, I think. Um, on the other side, you've got a, a very good team that, seems to have struggled chemistry wise recently with Portugal um, and particularly around their, their talisman, Cristiano Ronaldo, a couple of Manchester United players in particular. Yeah. Yeah. So his comments about Manchester United and then, and then the fallout in the Portugal side. Yeah. Do you think that will have an influence on their, on their run throughout the, the tournament? Do you think they're still favourites for this group? Can, can you oh, that's a, top? Yeah. No, it's a great, it's a great point you mentioned there. I, I think it will have a massive impact. Uh, my, my second gutsy call, I feel like before the world cup, um, you come on a podcast, you're almost bound to give out a few gutsy calls. <laughs> gutsy call, maybe even gutsy in my first, I don't think Portugal are going to get out of this group. Wow. Um, yeah. I, I really, so even without the Cristiano Ronaldo stuff, even if that was all, none of that stuff was going on, I still have issues with how they've been playing. They have on paper one of the most stacked sides, um, really good defence. Ruben Diaz, fantastic centre-back, great full-backs. Uh, Cancelo, fantastic full-back. Diogo Dallo, if Cancelo's not fit, has been playing really well for Manchester United. On the other side, Nuno Mendes, thinking some injury clouds over him. Even if he's not fit, Rafael Guerrero, so Mendes plays for PSG. Rafael Guerrero for Dortmund, both very good players. Midfield, loads of quality. Bruno, Bruno Fernandes, Manchester United's, um, you know, like he's their leader, their, their talisman. 
Bernardo Silva, I think probably top four or five midfielders in the world. Really, really tidy player. And then up front, loads of quality. Um, so Portugal, yeah, on paper, great side. Portugal, kind of a little bit like England, I think, are too defensive. Um, there's nothing wrong with playing defensive football if that suits the if that suits the personnel you have. So, you know, like sides like Canada and Wales, it makes sense for them to be playing counter-attacking defensive football. Portugal have been really negative when there's kind of no reason for them to be. They have so much quality across their side. And I think they've been underperforming for a while. They also haven't taken Renato Sanchez to the World Cup. He's a player who's performed really well for them in big tournaments before. And I've really liked what I've seen from him as well, um, watching him in Liga. So I think that's a mistake, very dynamic player. And so I think even without the Ronaldo stuff, they're struggling to get the best out of their players. They're playing negative football and they're a side that's going to have expectation on them because of the quality they have. And that can be problematic. Then you throw on top of that, the Ronaldo stuff, the fact that he's just done this explosive interview, which might be already creating some tension in the camp. Then we see him not getting on well with Joao Cancelo, one of Portugal's best players, big issue there. And there's real question marks over whether he should be starting in this team. Uh, his case for starting is is improved by the fact Diogo Jota is not going to be fit because he's been very good for Liverpool and should be starting for Portugal, but he won't be there, which is one less forward for Ronaldo to compete with. But there's still, like, you know, you still got Joao Felix from Atletico Madrid, very talented player. Uh, Rafael Leal plays for AC Milan. Andre Silva's a good striker. They, they've got other wingers. Bernardo Silva might play off the right. So there's still question marks over whether Ronaldo is the best player to be starting in this side. And given that he's the captain, if he's not started, he's not going to be happy. There's going to be issues behind the scenes. His ego is going to get in the way. It's going to create tension in the dressing room. And Portugal are not in an easy group. Um, all these other sides are all good sides. Uruguay in particular. But Ghana and Korea are good sides. Korea last World Cup beat Germany. I think they made it out of the group. Um, our question marks over Son Heung Min, who, like, in terms of how important one player is to any one side, he would be right up there because he is this head and shoulders above their other attacking players, and he is such a good player. Um, yeah, Portugal, they're in a tough group, and I think already tactically there's some issues, and then you throw on top of that this Ronaldo stuff, and I just think it might all be too much for them. And uh, maybe like France, maybe like England, a bit of combustion could be on the cards. Um, so I'm picking I'm picking Uruguay to top this group. Um, they have some informed players. Uh, Darwin Nunes done to find his feet for Liverpool. Very explosive striker. Um, Luis Suarez still got experience. Not quite the player he was. Still, still, you know, if he can if he can keep his teeth inside his mouth, still a pretty handy player. <laughs> Um, and you know, Frank, uh, Val, Frederico Valverde for Real Madrid, one of the most informed midfielders in Europe this season, very dynamic player, very athletic, likes to score goals from midfield, plus some decent defenders. Bentico's also been playing reasonably well for Tottenham, so um, some decent solidity there, Uruguay. So I, I think they'll have enough to, to finish top. Um, and then I like both Ghana and Korea. One of my players to watch for the tournament is Mohamed Kudos, currently playing for Ajax, who plays for Ghana. Uh, he's a nice little um, number 10, uh, good at dribbling in tight spaces, got a wonderful left foot, scored a really nice goal against Liverpool, playing for Ajax in the Champions League earlier this season, actually. Um, so he, that Ghana probably might my, my pick to come second just because there's those question marks around Chinmin Son. And I think Portugal might have some issues. Um, Ghana also have some other pretty solid players. Mohamed Salisu, centre-back for Southampton, uh, you know, he's a very solid player. Thomas Partey playing really well for Arsenal right now. Um, so Ghana got a bit of quality about them. Um, so, yeah, I think Portugal, uh, if they can sort out the Ronaldo stuff and get everyone firing, that could be a very dangerous side. But um, 
in this tough group where the pressure is going to be on, I could see a few issues. And that's why I've got them failing to get out of the group. And I got Uruguay number one, Ghana number two. Very good, Ed. Um, now, I've got two last questions, which I'll just get your yeah, um, one word answer from. Put you on the spot here. Uh, you said Brazil, you think are your favourites. Who faces them in your dream final? Who do you think comes runners up? I'll go Argentina. Uh, I think, I don't know if the draw will work. I think Argentina might meet them in the semis. I think they do. Yeah. I but even, so that's okay. Love to see him play. Or maybe, maybe, you know, on the other side of the draw, I, I, look, I'd love to see England play them. France, Brazil final would be great football too. Mm. The other question I have is which of the group stage games are you most looking forward to? Oh, this is a tough question. Oh, Spain, Germany, <laughs> this is a tough is question. <laughs> Look, I Spain, Germany. A couple, a couple. Spain, Germany, probably the highest quality fair. England, USA, lots of intrigue mm-hmm. around that for various reasons. Uh, and then, look, also, uh, I think in that group as well, Serbia, Switzerland, I think that's going to be quality there too. Uh, well, one more Portugal, Uruguay. So, yeah, yeah. Those, those are some ones to look out for on the calendar. Not, not overly keen for Australia, Tunisia. <laughs> well, <laughs> I wouldn't underrate that one because... Um, if something happens to Denmark or France, that could be a very important game. Um, and I can't remember the last time Australia won a World Cup game, and uh, they have as good a chance as any to beat Tunisia. So it's not to be underrated, but uh, maybe in terms of the quality, the quality on show. Uh, I love it, Ed. Well, thanks so much for giving us your time, and um, sure we'll be in touch throughout the tournament and afterwards. But yeah, we appreciate your insight, and I'm sure the fans do as well. Thanks, guys. Really enjoyed being here. Nice stuff, Ed. Thank you. Okay, thanks so much, Ed, for coming on the show. Uh, We appreciate your time. But, boys, it's time to move on to our moments of the week. Ben, start us off. Yeah, I'll start. So I forgot a good quote overnight from Rory McIlroy, just the a serial, it's this soap opera that world golf is at the moment. And this is just the latest episode. He was speaking about possible negotiations with the LIV golf tour. And he had some very choice words about the LIV CEO, Aussie great Greg Norman. He said, quote, I think Greg needs to go. I think he just needs to exit stage left. He's made his mark. But I think now is the right time to sort of say, look, you've got this thing off the ground, but no one is going to talk unless there's an adult in the room that can actually mend fences. Now, that's pretty rough, to be honest. (laughs) No one's going to talk unless there's an adult in in the room, especially when he's sort of criticizing him of not being conciliatory and not being willing to come to the table and then to use such inflammatory language, it does seem a little bit hypocritical. And I probably side with Rory on this side, on this debate, but I don't know. That just seems like it defeats the purpose of his own argument. (laughs) Yeah. It's, uh, it's a interesting quote, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Accusing someone of not being an adult and then throwing petty insults at them like (laughs) in the same breath. It's like, what, which one is it? Yeah. And, you know, all these things are calculated as well. And um, yeah, I know kind of disinterested Australian fans probably idolize Greg Norman a bit, but I think for anyone who's followed golf in the last 
or Greg Norman in the last five yeah, to ten years. years. <laughs> Probably don't have a whole lot of respect for him. That's true. Um, clearly, Rory doesn't. Um, my moment of the week also comes from a sports player gumming out and just saying some random stuff out of the blue. And this was, as alluded to earlier, with Ed Cristiano Ronaldo, who just decided to drop an interview with Piers Morgan this week because it's something you feel like doing where he basically is trying to, it's really, it's a really weird situation trying to get his way out of Manchester United, even though Manchester United put him up for sale in the summer. There's just <laughs> not a single club in the world who can, who A, wants him and B, can afford his contract. So he couldn't go anywhere. They were like happy to facilitate a transfer of him and he couldn't leave. So instead he's like the, Clearly his advisors or whatever have been like the only way to make sure it happens in January is to like completely sever this relationship. So Renato's comes out and says, I don't like the coach. He disrespects me. I don't like my teammates. They disrespect me. They don't respect everything I've done. I don't like my former teammates who criticize yeah, me. In the, in the media. And he goes, he like, he's talking about Wayne Rooney. And he's like, I wouldn't say I look better than him, even though it's true. Like just some <laughs> random, really petty stuff as well. Um, I think it's one thing that's been kind of missed in the Ronaldo discussion though and debate is um, he has had an incredibly, like unimaginably hard 12 months. He lost a son. One of his daughters is um, not in good health either, I believe at the moment. And yeah, I know grief does the strange things to people and makes them do strange things. So probably important to qualify some of the yeah. stuff he's done. Um, although there is a bit of a um, a pattern when it comes to this kind of egocentric view of his soccer career and where what he should be doing and playing. Um, but anyway, I think Manchester United fans have just about had enough. So it looks like he was successful in severing that relationship. Yeah. Um, you look at the reaction from the Portuguese United players, including... Bruno Fernandes and the justification some um, United fans come up with, like it's an interesting balance because so many of them are Ronaldo diehards and United fans. So, you know, they're still trying to defend Ronaldo as the goat, but also want United to be protected as well. It's, it's an interesting situation for the club. Um, I think there was rumors that Chelsea are the favorites to land him, but you know, honestly, wherever he goes, I think you mentioned that no club wants him. I don't think no club wants him. I think it's mainly that his salary and the drama that comes with him. But then you argue the marketing benefit surely can outweigh his his wages. Like you you sign Ronaldo, you get an extra yeah. hundred million in shirt sales instantly. Surely. Um, so I think some sides would be stupid not to including Chelsea um, with our striker struggles. Um, struggles, you you lose nothing. Um, moving on, <laughs> my <laughs> moment of the week is turning to the NBA and into one player in particular. A certain twenty-four hours in the NBA. I'm sure any NBA fan knows automatically what I'm talking about, and that is Joel Embiid's two games versus Atlanta Hawks and Utah Jazz in which he scored 101 points total. So that's 42 against the Hawks and 59 against the Jazz. That's a back-to-back performance. In the Jazz game, he was um, two steals and three blocks away from a a 59-point quadruple double, which (laughs) would have just been absurd. Obviously, he didn't get there, but still an outrageous performance in a 
competition that has moved towards stars not playing back-to-back games uh, or reducing minutes in back-to-back games, he's gone and scored 101 points in in a back-to-back um, and really pushing his name for MVP. Yeah. It seemed like Doncic and Tatum had kind of broken away. Now, now Embiid's saying, no, I'm, I'm here for the fight. Um, so setting up an interesting race for that, that MVP. Yeah, that's very interesting. All right. On to one of the more interesting victimless crimes that I've heard of in recent times. And this is obviously our fan moment of the week brought to us by Will. Um, yeah, the fan moment of the week is the victimless crime. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, Brownlow tips, gentlemen. Big news in the AFL this week is that one of the umpires was leaking Brownlow tips to his mates, I suppose, who then cast some bets on sports bet. Anyway, it's all been picked up by the betting company and then by the police, and they've been arrested. What do you make of this? Is it just the fact that they're umpires so the AFL trusts them not to leak tips? Like, <laughs> Well, there appear to be no other safeguards other than the... Genuinely. Or we don't sort of safeguard. <laughs> Or the fact that, you know, you go to prison if yeah, you do it. Well, this, is, this is a good deterrent, I guess, for the next bloke that thinks of it. I I can't believe this hasn't been done previously. Well, then, as with most crimes, it's very rare you come up with an innovative criminal enterprise and get caught out being the first one doing it if it's successful. Um, have a look at the certain accusations of ball tampering that go on. Some people <laughs> just do it slightly more brazen than others and possibly yeah. in a stupider way. And they're the ones that end up getting caught. But yeah, it is so silly to to think about it. Um, it's just insider trading, isn't it? But Genuinely. in this case, you're doing it against betting companies. Um, so as Ben hence said, victimless. you don't, hence victimless. Um, but yeah, it just seems like a really dumb thing. And his name's been published now and he's kind of mm. all over. And, you know, he was quite a junior umpire as well. So it has been quite a lengthy episode so far, boys. <laughs> but I think we're reaching a, a certain time in the evening or the day, wherever you are listening to this show. Um, Hugo, can you please enlighten us? Yes, it is time for India's favourite podcasting segment, Hit or Miss. And we'll start with India here. Um, I have got that India's T20 side, current T20 side is the most underperforming side in the history of cricket. Say that's a hit. Just because nothing really comes to mind in terms of a, an all-around side that has won less. Uh, they, they don't have a trophy to their name. Uh, so, yeah, hit for me. Oh, it's... It's tough. Um, yeah, I, I can't think of another team that's underperformed to this extent in white ball tournaments. It's yeah, been 11 years now since. Yeah, consistently. Like even in the Champions Trophy final, they choked against Pakistan in 2016 or whenever that was. And it all started after their 2011 win. Um, I don't think... It's going to last for much longer, though. They're going to be pretty hard to beat at home in the one-day World Cup next year, I think. Um, 
but yeah, they have definitely underperformed a lot. And I can't think of another team off the top of my head. What about you, Hugo? Yeah, I think that if England had lost this this World Cup, then you could maybe include them. But they won the 50 over World Cup. Yeah, that I agree. Like again, you you jump <laughs> like they got they you argue that, but now you could say they're the, one of the greatest one day sides of all time. Wow, we'll they, get to that. Yeah. <laughs> they so hold my my hit or miss, Hugo. It's one of the better segues we've ever had. Uh, not that we delivered it with any fluency, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> mine's from um, we're all good from Wisden, uh, who put out a social media post saying is this England team the greatest in white ball history? And my Twitter blew up in response to that. Um, and I've got some strong feelings, but I'm keen to get your boys first. Can I start? I've just got, I got this in front of me. I did some prep work on this, which is. <laughs> so I'll take you back to the 29th of April, 2007. <laughs> We're in Kensington Oval, Oval Barbados. Australia's team in that ODI World Cup final read Gilchrist, Hayden, Ponting, Simons, Watson, Clark, Hussey, Hogg, Bracken, Tate, McGrath. That's a pretty formidable lineup. The team that won in 2003 was probably just as strong, I reckon. I think that the current English crop, as good as they are, are not holding a candle to the likes that I just ran through there. Yeah, I think um, I think it's a miss. I think the 2003 Australian side is probably better based on their 21-match win streak they had in ODI cricket, which has not even been close to replicated. I mean, you talk about resting and stuff, but the fact that they won 21 straight um, ODI matches, three straight World Cups over, obviously, you know, 12 years, um you you cannot compare the two i don't think at all i'm sure if they played a t20 game at that time yeah the australian side of 2003 played t20 match against england right now england would win but you cannot argue that they're more dominant yeah i think dominance is the one to look at yeah or even like if you if that Australian side maybe grew up in this T20 era, they'd be greater, but, you know. You can't compare the generations. You can't compare, and they dominated their era more than any other side has. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, England have, let's, let's just be clear about this. They won this T20 World Cup when they lost to Ireland. Um, They were still (laughs) the best team. And they drew a one-day World Cup. You know, yeah. they, they finished on the same amount of runs as New Zealand. Um, and then they lost in the semi-final in the other one. Um, no, that's being a bit facetious. They're a strong side, but I actually think uh, even stronger than the Australian three-peat team is the current Australian women's team. Um, there was oh, no yeah. qualification put by Wisdom. They just said in the history of white ball cricket, and you will not find a more dominant uh, yeah, side who just rolls around in World Cups in <laughs> Wando cricket more than the Australian women's side who went 34 games, I think unbeaten. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, I don't know that they, they got a lot of engagement with that Twitter post. Um, but yeah, it showed potentially some of these English media outlets, as Ed said before, when things are going well, can get a little bit ahead of themselves, I think. 
That's a good one. You can't compare eras except LeBron's better than Jordan. (laughs) 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 Debate for another time. All right. Here's one that might ruffle some feathers. I reckon that the Women's Soccer World Cup next year in Australia carries more meaning, importance, significance, however you want to put it, to the Australian sporting community than the Men's World Cup does starting this week in Qatar, hit or miss. I think it's a miss. I wish it was a hit. And for me personally, I'm more invested in the women's side, especially following the fantastic win, which we didn't mention against Sweden Mm. this weekend. Um, I'm hugely hopeful for this campaign, but I think amongst the broader sporting community, sadly, um, well, not necessarily sadly, I just think the men's world cup brings such attention to itself. Um, I think following this world cup, then the women's world cup will only build in excitement and tension and um, build a fever pitch right towards the first game. But right now I think um, the men's world cup is firmly in the foreground of many people's minds. And I don't think, much is going to replace that. I again, I think the women's soccer team is vastly superior, and the women's program is vastly superior to the men's. And I think Australia should get behind it more than they do. But I think your statement that it is more significant in yeah. the Australian sports community is a miss. Fair, I think I think it's a hit. Um, I think because it's going to be in Australia and New Zealand. I'm certainly going to be like, I'm obviously very invested in the soccer ruse, but I'm going to be like watching those Matilda's games with a lot of nerves and anxiety because they're a better side and they have the pressure of being at home and they should do well. They should get out of the group. It's not a, oh, you know, you know, there might be a really hot day and a couple of France players might get injured and the keeper we're, might get sent off. And you we're know, praying we're just, for sand. We're praying for sand as we discussed. Um, uh, I was going to shout as well. Um, regular listener of the show, Ash sent a um, uh, a thought that was similar to this. That's kind of like Ben's research, um, saying that um, she felt that the uh, women's soccer, for those who haven't watched it, is a lot more entertaining and exciting than than men's soccer is to watch. And hopefully that will be reflected next year when they come out for the the world cup so yeah i think when it spins around there's gonna be a huge hype around this competition much more than there is about the qatar world cup and um, i'd like to think it'll carry a lot of significance yeah so for what it's worth i think a having it in australia compared to qatar makes such a difference eyeballs on tv bums on seats that'll be great and then just the relevance of the matildas vis-a-vis the socceroos as you said every chance to get out of the group stage and, and go pretty deep on current form the way they've finished this year whereas for the Socceroos I think great achievement to make the the World Cup but it's it's still just a bit of a novelty watching us go around and kick it around against the best players in the world I don't think much is expected of us yeah I think it's sorry I, I just want to clarify that I agree with both of you there but yeah you you actually that... interpreted the question correctly right? <laughs> I did say sporting public so yeah they, yes. they that was the frame yes no you're spot on hey Michelle take us away now to the on this day this week for this week I would love to Hugo and we are absolutely spoiled for choice so I've decided to come <laughs> up with with three of the great moments in in sports history that happened 
on this day, which is the, the 16th of November. Um, in 1962, uh, Warriors Centre, San Francisco Warriors Centre, Wilt Chamberlain scored 73 points in a 127 to 111 win over the New York Knicks, New York Knicks at Madison Square Garden. Uh, sorry, I've forgotten how to speak, um, which, yeah, it's pretty hard to see someone scoring 73 points ever again in a game of basketball might be something we see once every five years. So remarkable effort. Uh, in 1996, golf champ. That's how this uh, database labels him. Phil Mickelson at the time, oh, 26, that. wed Amy McBride. And this is notable because McBride became the bride. Um, and then in 2017, tennis champion Serena Williams married Reddit co-founder Alexis O'Hanian in New Orleans. So I thought we'd add a bit of wedding flavor um, to this this to this week's on this day on this week. And and Will Chamberlain oh, flavor as well. <laughs> Lots of flavors. Well, well rounded on this day for this week. Um, time to look forward to the future. We'll start with the cricketing world. Um, starting tomorrow, or by the time this is aired, it will have already started. We have a New South Wales ACT 11 match against the West Indies side. So that's a warm-up match for the West Indies. We also somehow have an ODI series against England less than 10 days after, less than a week after England play in the World Cup final. That will have also started by the time this episode airs. Um, that game is in Adelaide. So good luck to the Aussies in that one. Elsewhere, we have the Kiwis playing against India over in New Zealand in a T20 match. So both sides moving on from the T20 into a couple of meaningless T20 games. Um, In the F1, we have the final race of the season in Abu Dhabi. The world championship is all wrapped up for Red Bull and for Max Verstappen. However, Sergio Perez and Charles Leclerc fight, fight for second place, whilst Rebel look for their first ever one-two in the World Championship. Hamish, what more is bigger in the world than the Football World Cup in Qatar? And at Monday, 3 a.m., as we mentioned earlier, Qatar play Ecuador. And in, like I said, if you're not awake for that, then are you really a, a sports fan, you know? Um but the big one is the Socceroos versus the French. It's the first game that the Socceroos play. Wednesday, 6 a.m., um, pretty accessible. Get in, watch it before work. Should be all wrapped up by 8.30. So, um, yeah, huge game. And like Hugo said, we need a draw. Amazing. A lot to look forward to there. In the golf, as I sort of referenced with Rory's comments, there's the DP World Tour Championship. So that's the final event of the European Tour season to look forward to. And in a couple of weeks' time, we've got the Australian Open Golf, which is returning to the state of Victoria and also the Golf Club Victoria uh, first week of December, I think. But it's a really good field that's rolling. It's a town, first time that the Melbourne Sandbelt has seen the tournament for the best part of a decade and they're combining the women's draw with the men's draw, something we've spoken about on this podcast, actually not sure where they're getting their ideas from, but certainly not counting us out. Uh, So that'll be a really fantastic spectacle to watch. I think and AFLW, of course, preliminary final action lions V crows 
And game of the round for mine is D's v North on Saturday night. So stay tuned for that one. I'm just going to roll on into my tips and bold predictions here. This is fairly baseless, but it sounds good. I think there's going to be a first time winner of the uh, the Soccer World Cups. Now, I don't know off the top of my head who actually has won the Soccer World Cup, but I'm assuming that of the teams that have qualified, a few of them haven't. So I've got a few horses in there. Portugal? Race. Yeah, who's, who's my best chance there? Belgium? I would say Belgium and Portugal are probably right. your, your best shouts um, or one of the African teams uh, to, to get you over the line. But And yeah, Qatar, South... of course. Oh, <laughs> yeah, of course. The proud <laughs> nation that is. Um, a traditional footballing nation. So, yeah, great to have a World Cup there. Um, my bold prediction is that um, <laughs> in reference to Ben's earlier moment of the week, I think Greg Norman's just getting started. I don't think he's about to exit stage left. And I think we're going to see a few fireworks in the next six months to a year. So, uh, wow. yeah, Hamish, what a, what a great bold prediction that we'll see immediate results for. I think it's only fair that I call you out on that one after several weeks of you calling me out on my bold. Prediction. I completely disagree, Hugo. Mine is an ongoing thing that I expect <laughs> to see. Can You're it, picking can, random games that are can two years non- away. Can a non-event be a bold prediction? I I don't like, think so. If you just if your prediction is that nothing changes, is that bold? Like surely in the definition of bold, which is some, <laughs> some sort of alteration to the status quo. But I think the the idea is that people expect that um you know tensions are gonna lower and people will sort it out. Then I'm I'm saying that I don't think it's gonna happen. I think the I like golfers it. are too stubborn. That's true. Um, my bold prediction is that the Dutch will make the World Cup final. That is bold. That is really I quite bold. like it. Yeah. 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 I don't know I if the Dutch have won before. No. I think so there's a chance. All right. We'll go Hugo's prediction rolling into my prediction. <laughs> That'd be great. Into some Greg Norman fireworks. It's going to be a great, it's going to be a great few months for the lads. <laughs> that doesn't get you tuned for the next episode. Nothing I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what will. All righty. That just about wraps us up. Huge thanks to Ed for giving us what has to be the most comprehensive preview of the Soccer World Cup. If you can find a more comprehensive preview, we'll beat it by 10% because that was unbelievable. So again, big thanks for him for sharing that wealth of knowledge with us and the listeners. Hugo Hamish, Ripper episode. Thanks so much for joining me, boys. Look forward to rejoining you in a week or so time as we uh, get our teeth stuck into hopefully what's been a, an interesting first few rounds of the, the Soccer World Cup and plenty more action to cover. In the meantime, take care.